1: This is a live look at Mar-a-Lago, where at any moment we are expecting Donald Trump to announce he is running for president in 2024. NBC News is now reporting that Trump has officially filed his paperwork for that run, and we are monitoring that speech. If and when Trump does make that announcement, we will be sure to let you know. We are also keeping a close eye on the developing situation involving a Russian-made missile that landed in Poland today, killing two people. Poland, of course, is a NATO ally, so this has huge implications for America's role in the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. President Biden recently convened an emergency meeting with other world leaders at the G20 summit in Bali. He said world leaders would conduct an investigation into what happened before determining next steps. He also said preliminary information suggested that it was, quote, unlikely that the missile was fired from Russia. We will have more on that developing situation this hour. We are also still continuing to get results from races that have yet to be called in the midterm elections, ones which could determine the balance of power in Congress. We're expecting more votes this hour, and we will bring you any updates from those races as they come in. Steve Kornacki is at the ready, as he always is. And we will also be speaking live with Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. It will be her first primetime interview since being reelected. But as I said tonight, Donald Trump is expected to announce his third successive run for president of the United States. And it comes at a time when the former president's political power has never been weaker, and the Republican Party is at war with itself over who's to blame for the party's fairly dismal election performance in a year where GOP leaders were predicting they would take control of the Senate and win as many as 60 seats. Last week, voters unambiguously rebuked Donald Trump's election conspiracies and extremism. According to NBC News, 28 of the 29 Republican candidates who lost competitive races in this election had either denied President Biden won the 2020 election or cast doubt on the results. Just last night, one of the biggest proponents of Donald Trump's big lie, Republican Carrie Lake, she lost her race for Arizona governor to Democrat Katie Hobbs. As far as Congress, Democrats were able to retain control of the Senate, and they may even grow their majority if they manage to defeat another Trump-backed candidate, Herschel Walker, in Georgia's Senate runoff, which happens on December 6th. Given all of these defeats, it is at once the most surprising thing and the least surprising thing in the world that Republicans are still considering letting Trump continue to lead their party. But that is where we are. They really haven't figured this one out yet. It's still a heated debate. Today in the Senate, Republican Senator Rick Scott announced he'll be challenging Mitch McConnell for the position of GOP Senate leader. It is worth remembering here that Rick Scott was the guy in charge of getting Republicans elected to the Senate this year. Senator Scott is the one who chose to embrace Trump and his handpicked Senate candidates who in turn managed to hand Democrats key victories in places like Pennsylvania and Arizona and New Hampshire. But Rick Scott is not chastened by that experience. In fact, he thinks he deserves a promotion. It's not his fault, and it's apparently not Trump's fault either. Today, when announcing his candidacy for Republican Senate leader, Rick Scott released this letter, saying, Despite what the armchair quarterbacks on TV will tell you, there is no one person responsible for our party's performance across the country. I know there is no shortage of people who are eager to point fingers and assign blame here in Washington, but I won't be one of them. It's unproductive and a massive waste of time. The one person he's talking about here is Donald Trump. And pointing at fingers at him is, according to Rick Scott, a massive waste of time. OK, Rick Scott. And then there's the fight happening over in the House. Today, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, who is... Not exactly a scold to Donald Trump and his allies. Kevin McCarthy received his own leadership challenge on the grounds that he is insufficiently pro-Trump. The man challenging Kevin McCarthy for the speakership is Republican Congressman Andy Biggs, one of the people who reportedly requested a pardon from Donald Trump for his role in trying to overturn the election results on January 6th, 2021. Today, in a closed-door vote among members of the Republican conference, Leader McCarthy managed to lose 31 votes to Andy Biggs. And Kevin McCarthy will now have to convince all or most of those defectors to back him as Speaker in order to win a vote in the full House, which comes in January. There is almost zero chance that Republicans will manage to settle their disputes about Trump's role in the party by then, and especially now that he appears to be embarking on a third-run for the American presidency. Trump, for his part, is unconvinced his influence had much of anything to do with his party's losses. He's instead blaming Republican leadership for not being more enthusiastic about his losing slate of candidates. Trump was fairly blunt about this over on Truth Social. It's Mitch McConnell's fault. Spending money to defeat great Republican candidates instead of backing Blake Masters and others was a big mistake. He blew the midterms and everyone despises him. And now that guy, that guy, Donald Trump, is back tonight announcing as the apparent frontrunner for his party in yet another presidential election. Joining us now is New York Times Chief White House Correspondent Peter Baker. He's also the co-author of The Divider, Trump in the White House, 2017 to 2021. Peter, thanks for being here on this night as we talk about the role of Donald Trump in his party I suppose I wonder uh, if Donald Trump wasn't announcing tonight. Well, let me start over again, because Donald Trump is announcing tonight and because for all intents and purposes, he is the front runner. He is still effectively the head of the party. Do you think that changes the sort of wagon circling we're seeing right now inside the GOP where there's even a debate as to whether Trump should be the head of the party?
2: Well, he would certainly like that, Alex. I think what he's trying to do tonight is change the subject from last week. So instead of talking about how the Republicans lost the opportunity to take both houses of Congress in a big red wave, we're talking about Donald Trump again. And of course, nothing there's nothing that Donald Trump likes better than people people will be talking about Donald Trump. And, you know, obviously he is in a weakened position compared to where he had been. The, the, the Republicans are blaming him for these losses last week that they uh, attribute to his poor selection of candidates in the primary. You know, pumping out uh, support for these election deniers. But, you know, he's hoping basically that he can once again dominate the co- conversation and dominate the stage at a time when people like Ron DeSantis are looking pretty strong uh, on the on the political right. And I think he's got Ron DeSantis in his rearview mirror, uh, you know, catching up in a pretty fast way And some polls, obviously, even ahead in key states.
1: Donald Trump loves everyone to be talking about Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell, I would imagine, does not like everybody to be talking about Donald Trump. I mean, how do you think this practically affects the leadership debate that's happening inside the party? What does Mitch McConnell do tomorrow when he is asked about Trump's candidacy?
2: That's a really good question. It'll be interesting to see, right? Because obviously, we know that Mitch McConnell doesn't care for Donald Trump. We know that Mitch McConnell thinks that Donald Trump is an albatross on the party, that the last three elections the Republicans have lost in Mitch McConnell's mind are because of Trump 2018. 2020 and 2022. But I think what Mitch McConnell will probably say tomorrow if he's asked is he wants to focus on Georgia, not on the presidential race, because Georgia still matters to him. 50-50 tie is still better than a 51-49 Democratic majority. And he's going to focus on that and use that as an excuse not to talk about Donald Trump, I'm guessing. But if you were to put true serum in Mitch McConnell, what he would tell you is that Donald Trump is a disaster for the party and he would like for Donald Trump to go away. He's not going to probably say it that bluntly, but that's what he thinks.
1: Uh, you bring up Georgia. And I mean, Trump's own advisors were on television saying, sir, we urge you not to announce any potential run for the presidency until after December 6th. Trump has flouted that entirely. He threw that advice out the window. If the Republicans lose, if Herschel Walker lose, loses Georgia and Raphael Warnock is reelected and the Democrats increase their majority in the upper chamber, do you think Trump pays any price for that? I mean, or is that just further confirmation that, oh, yeah, this guy is a drag on our party, but does it do anything?
2: Well, I think it's further confirmation because the Control of the Senate is not now hinging on that race. It won't be quite the same thing as it would have been had it been the decider, right? If there was if there was one race that was going to tell us who was going to be the majority, it would definitely come back. Uh, on, on president, former president Trump. But remember, he did this of course two years ago when he basically, you know, punted, as far as a lot of Republicans are concerned, the two races in the special runoff in Georgia that did, in fact, shift control from the Republicans to the Democrats. And he couldn't have cared less. What he cared about only was his own grievance, his own, uh, race and his own claims that something bad had happened when, in fact, of course, it didn't. He is not a party man. He was never a party man. Remember, he switched parties five or six times over the years. He has no great loyalty to the Republican Party. He demands loyalty from the Republican Party. So it doesn't matter to him that there's a special election coming up in Georgia. He wants entirely to change the subject to his own case, his own race, and what happens to him next.
1: I I mean, I think it's worth noting, Peter, that as we talk or as Republicans talk about Trump's potential ouster from the party, which may not come to pass, right? Right. The reason they're even debating this has nothing to do with principle and everything to do with political expediency. This is about winning. I mean, Jelani Cobb in The New Yorker points out, and it bears reading this quote, Trump did not single-handedly inject the strains of intolerance, racism, nativism, belligerence, and a durable sympathy for anti-democratic behavior into the Republican Party, and there is no reason to believe that his absence would cause them to evaporate. I mean, part of the reason it feels like Republicans are wringing their hands and don't know what to do about Trump is because the party is Trump. There is no effective daylight in terms of the policies And the really the rhetoric of the GOP and that of Trump and Trumpism. So if you if you excise Trump and Trumpism, what does that leave you with in terms of an actual governing platform for the Republican Party beyond the nativism, beyond the xenophobia, beyond the racism? It's hard to know how they would even begin to have that conversation. Do you get a sense that they're aware of that?
2: I think a lot of Republicans are aware that a lot of Republicans believe the party needs to rebuild itself after Trump, but they don't know when after Trump is going to be. And as long as Trump is on the stage, there is no such thing as an after Trump, right? They were not willing to break with him, it turns out, on January 7th, 2021, despite... The, this, the attack on the Capitol, despite his own, you know, uh, lies about the election that led to that aca- attack on the Capitol. If they're not willing to, uh, you know, abandon him, then what's going to make them abandon him? Well, you're right. I mean, I think that the, when he becomes an albatross, when they see him as a loser, not a winner, when he see when they see him, uh, you know, causing them more harm than good. That's the only moment when you can see Republicans beginning to drift away. The question is whether enough Republicans do. He still has an awful lot of support among the base. And a lot of Republican office holders and political figures are nervous about doing anything to aggravate him because they don't want to aggravate that base. I remember interviewing once a Republican senator who did not like Donald Trump, not Donald Trump's kind of Republican. I said, "Well, why is it you don't say anything? Why are you quiet?" He said, "Because they did a poll in my state, and there are 88% of my Republican constituents in my state support Donald Trump, and that's more than support me. And that's always been the case. If that changes, if it, if they perceive that the base is drifting away from Donald Trump, that's when they uh, will begin to drift away themselves."
1: And that is an open question. I mean, you wrote in your, uh, excuse me, analysis of what's happening here, I think a very relevant point, which is there's the Republican Party of it all, and then there's the just the Trump of it all. Does it work? Does the carnival barking work for the third time? And I'll read the quote. It may be instructive to remember that Trump somehow kept hosting that show of his, The Apprentice on air for 14 years, replaying essentially the same storyline over and over again as the audience kept coming back for more. So when he takes the microphone at his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida, which he's doing right now, for his special announcement, Trump is determined to script another season of conflict and drama in the hopes of being renewed. I mean, listen, we're rebooting a lot of old content as a society, as television culture. But you do wonder whether you can repeat the same hate-filled rhetoric, the dearth of actual solutions, the the, the divisiveness, the exhaustion, the sort of moral exhaustion, the uh, physical exhaustion I speak for all of us. One wonders whether there's really traction for that in the year 2023 and 2024.
2: That's the real question. You're right about that. Politics, at least in the modern era, has a certain half-life, right? After a certain amount of time, you know, uh, trends tend to burn themselves out. And, And the audience, that is, the voters, the electorate, begin looking for something new, something fresh. And that's, I think, that's what you're seeing in some of these early polls, suggesting a a, a boom for Desantis within the Republican Party. A sense among a lot of Republicans that yeah, they still like Trump, they agree with him, they like his policies, they think he did a good job, even. But they're realizing that they're, uh, you know, that there's a diminishing factor here. That in fact, they're a little tired of him. There is a fatigue setting in, and maybe it's time to try uh, time to try a new generation. And I think that that's, you know, that's the biggest danger for him. There's not going to be sort of a sudden snap where Republicans say we're done with you, go away you know we can't stomach you anymore it will be a slow corrosion of support among people who say yeah it's time to move on now when that happens i don't know that's a big question that's the big question looming for 2024 does it happen in time for 2024 or does he manage to keep this the show on the air long past you would think the uh, the storyline had kind of uh, worn its uh, worn itself out That is the question.
1: Declining audience and an ultimate cancellation of the Trump show. Time will tell. New York Times chief White House correspondent Peter Baker. Always great to see you, my friend. Thanks for your time tonight. As Trump is speaking right now in Mar-a-Lago, Republicans find themselves one step closer to getting control of the House. For more than that, we go to Steve Kornacki at The Big Board. Steve, what is the latest, my friend?
3: Yeah, big call, Alex. Just in the last few minutes from our decision desk, the 41st Congressional District of California, we now project that Ken Calvert, the Republican candidate there, a three-decade incumbent, has survived a re-election challenge from Democrat Will Rollins. This is a win for Republicans. Again, we've been monitoring this dwindling list of uncalled House races with this victory. Republicans now have 217 seats. You need 218 for a majority. So Republicans have moved within one seat of securing a majority. Here's the list of uncalled races here. You see a whole bunch of them are in California. There are several races here in California where Republicans are leading. So that path to 218, we've been saying has been really opening up clearly for Republicans. They find themselves one seat away with a number of different ways to get there.
1: Steve Kornacki. It never escapes. Well, it, it, it doesn't escape us that New York and California may ultimately be instrumental in handing Republicans control of the lower chamber. However, margins matter. And that seems like it's very much GPD. Steve, if we get any more calls this hour, please stand by and let us know and we will get right back to you. Thank you, as always. Yep. We have much more to come tonight as we wait for the once and future leader of the Republican Party to make his big announcement including a look at the beginnings of a campaign organization headquartered at the former president's beach club. We will hear from a reporter who got that scoop just ahead. And Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer joins us for her first primetime interview since winning re-election. Stay with us.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call.
2: I told them, I said, if you just keep a little bit lower standard, you're going to have a big victory. They said, let's win by 40 seats. Let's win by 50. I said, if you win by two seats, be happy. But she's on her way to another country right now. She's been fired. (laughs) But we always have known that... This was not the end.
1: That is Donald Trump, Trump speaking at Mar-a-Lago. We are expecting him to announce his country. candidacy for the presidency in 2024. Excuse that me. announcement should become any time you. now, and we will bring it to you American when we have it. In the meantime, that
2: was not good. What he did. Trump has called today of one of
1: the most, hopefully, one of the most important days in the history of our country. History, of course, will be the judge of that. But we await Donald Trump's expected 2024 campaign announcement. And as soon as he has that, as soon as he says, I am running, we will bring that to you. But the candidate and what is being described as the vibe of this campaign, this coming campaign, both of those things may look similar. The Washington Post reports that Trump wants to, quote, Recreate the underdog vibe of the 2016 campaign. Trump's advisors tell the paper that it's expected to have a smaller staff and a smaller budget compared to his failed 2020 campaign, reportedly because Trump felt it had too many people and spent too much money. As critical as that selection of people may be, Trump just began interviewing campaign staff a few days ago, ago, and his advisors were hoping Trump would delay this announcement, the, the one this evening so they could set up a more robust campaign apparatus. We do know that Kellyanne Conway is reportedly coming back to the campaign, but we are also learning that Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump apparently have no plans to take part in this campaign. They aren't the only ones who may sit this one out. The Post reports that a number of Trump advisors have doubts about (laughs) whether they wanna be on another campaign for Donald Trump and the U.S. presidency as they deal with subpoenas. Thanks to their ties to Trump and his erratic decisions after losing the last election. Okay, just moments ago at Mar a Lago, Trump declared that he is, yes, running for president in 2024. This is what he said. Let's take a listen.
2: In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States.
1: Joining us now is the reporter who helped break that news about Trump's imminent campaign, the great Ashley Parker, senior national political correspondent for The Washington Post. Ashley, thanks so much for being here tonight. It's official. Trump has announced he is running for president. And I believe the slogan may be best described as Magaga, make America great and glorious again. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, but then again, we never thought we would be referring to an entire group of Americans as MAGA Republicans. So who knows? Um, Ashley, what can you tell me about this? This sounds like a very hastily planned announcement with not a lot of staffing. I think some people would likely be concerned that Trump thinks he needs fewer people managing him and his campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain a little bit about the decision making here and how much chaos we can expect?
5: Sure. So this was a campaign that, you know, if you've been covering him, following him for a while, talking to his people, you knew was all but inevitable that at some point Donald Trump was almost certainly going to announce a third attempt at the presidency but the timing uh, you know has just gone back and forth alex there was this mad rush uh, on monday night before tuesday's midterms to get him not to announce it he sort of decided that morning at one of his final campaign stops or rally in ohio that maybe he would just announce it then he had to be talked down republican officials instead of spending the day you know trying to help senators, governors, secretary of state get elected throughout the country. We're trying to get the former president not to announce the campaign rally. As you discussed earlier on your show, uh, there was this talk to try to get him to postpone it from what he just did now to at least after the Georgia Senate runoff. But that is how things always operate in the former president's orbit. That was true in 2015. That was true in 2020. And that was certainly true in his presidency. And it looks like That freewheeling, chaotic, uh, maddening even to his own allies, style is going to be true uh, in this third attempt at the White House.
1: Actually, there are literally a trillion reasons why Donald Trump should not have announced he was running for president again. But in his mind, there seem to be two reasons why he should have announced at this juncture, one of which are the investigations into Trump. Um, at Mar-a-Lago, January six, we'll talk about those a little bit later in the hour. But the other reason, and I know this sounds absurd, because who announces they're running for president just to troll someone else? But that sounds like that's what's happening here. The dynamic in play is that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida is coming off some big wins in his state. He's seen as an inheritor to the Trump throne, maybe even a usurper. How much of the timing right now, so close after election that hasn't been fully called now, is to steal Ron DeSantis' thunder? And do you think Ron DeSantis actually cares?
5: So uh, I was talking to a top Trump advisor last night who basically said he, he couldn't wait. Not that he was so excited he couldn't wait, although that may also have been the case. But this person meant it as he had backed himself into a corner and at this point had no choice but to announce tonight especially after promising and threatening to announce before the midterms, where, frankly, he thought, like much of the country, like much of his party, like the Democrats, like a lot of the media, that it was going to be a red wave. And then he announced that night that he would be announcing. And then you see someone like Ron DeSantis. And we have reported that the two people uh, who both Trump finds the biggest threat And is sort of the most angry with uh, Ron DeSantis and actually uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. He believes that he made both men. That's more true in the case of DeSantis, less so with Youngkin, who actually steered quite clear of him in his successful gubernatorial bid. And that he believes they have not been sufficiently grateful. So when you take that kind of perfect storm and stew, it it was very clear that this was a a third campaign kind of careening to this evening's announcement, whether or not uh, his advisors or even the former president himself really
1: thought it was particularly advisable. I mean, when you talk about DeSantis not um, pledging fealty or being adequately respectful, I believe Ron DeSantis is literally flying planes over Mar-a-Lago. Do we have this visual? Yes. Saying, you lost again, Donald. Hashtag DeSantis 2024. Now, okay. I I said Ron DeSantis is flying. We do not know, I think, who is behind these banners, but that's not ring kissing behavior if it is coming from the DeSantis camp. And what's emerging here is a storyline that the losses effectively or the non-wins of Election Day, Republicans like Ron DeSantis are trying to peg that on Donald Trump. Donald Trump does not seem to be bothered by that, or at least the argument he's making is that (laughs) they weren't really losses, but wins. Do you have an understanding of how much the uh, results of the election have bothered, actually bothered Trump behind closed doors?
5: Well, certainly, uh, two things. One is he—he he is savvy about politics. He does understand winning and losing. And this was not a win for Republicans, any way you cut it, or, or what you know Donald Trump has said tonight. But what bothers him more than that, because fundamentally he doesn't really care about the Republican Party. Uh, he's willing to burn it to the ground. He only recently became a member of it to run as president. What bothers him far more, uh, again are the results that Ron DeSantis got Tuesday night, winning you know, by 19 points in Florida, flipping Miami-Dade County. Um, he's even complained that Glenn Youngkin, he believes the media coverage of him has been far uh, too favorable and positive. And so, again, it's those personal grievances that really animate this president, not, not the idea that Mitch McConnell might not get to be majority leader after all.
1: Yeah. Nothing will show Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin like a hastily organized uh, campaign announcement populated by very few actual staffers. That'll really teach them. Ashley Parker, senior national political correspondent for The Washington Post and intrepid reporter. Thank you, Ashley, as always. Thank you. We will get more reaction to the seismic shift in the political landscape just ahead, including what effect this will have on the DOJ's criminal probes, that is probes plural, their probes into the former president. Plus, a Democrat who faced the forces of Trumpism and beat them. Michigan's newly reelected Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, on how she did it and how Democrats should do it. She joins us live coming up next.
4: The Living Room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.
1: Donald Trump promised to deliver a history-making announcement today, and maybe he did. He might now be the presidential candidate most resented by members of his own party in recent memory. After a week of nearly unprecedented Democratic victories in Congress, Washington Republicans have been doing a lot of finger-pointing and wound-licking. And several Republican power brokers have decided the buck stops with Trump. Rupert Murdoch's Fox News and The Wall Street Journal are calling him a loser. But Trump is not the only Republican facing blame for Trumpism weighing down the ticket. Republicans in Michigan lost pretty much everything last week, the state house, the Senate and the governor's mansion. And they lost the governor's seat by a staggering near 11 point margin. It's the first time in 40 years that Democrats have taken control of every branch of Michigan government. The state Republican Party is now blaming its failed nominee for governor, Tudor Dixon, for tanking all the down ballot candidates. Dixon ran on a platform that echoed Trump and incorporated some of the very same culture wars, election denial, anti-choice and parents' rights policies, plus jokes about the foiled kidnapping plot against Governor Whitmer, which was one of Trump's favorite topics. This is what Paul Cordes, chief of staff for the state Republican Party, this is what he had to say about those losses in a memo last week. Tudor's efforts focused largely on Republican red meat issues in hopes of inspiring a 2020-like showing at the polls. There were more ads on transgender sports than on inflation, gas prices, and bread and butter issues, ones that could have swayed independent voters. We didn't have a turnout problem. Middle-of-the-road voters simply didn't like what Tudor was selling. Tudor's performance cost us around the edges in the close House and Senate races, and we are out of majorities because of it. The GOP is out of majorities in the state of Michigan. The Democrats literally have them all. Because Governor Whitmer, unlike Tudor Dixon, offered voters a decidedly different vision for the future. One where reproductive rights are safeguarded and concerns about safety and infrastructure and the economy, those are all actually addressed. And now the newly reelected governor, Governor Whitmer, has the power to act on the rest of her agenda. Joining us now is the Michigan Governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Governor, thank you so much for being here tonight. And congratulations on your resounding win.
6: Thank you. So good to be with you.
1: Uh, I got to ask you, because it's the thing that just happened, um, and one wonders about its effects on American politics. Donald Trump just announced he's running again in 2024. And in many ways, one could look at the race that you had against Tudor Dixon as a resounding uh, indication that Trumpism doesn't work for the people of Michigan, What do you make of Trump's announcement tonight? What what of that? What are the what are the implications of that?
6: Well, I can just tell you this. you know he carried the state of Michigan when he first ran for president, and we had a an overwhelming victory just this last week. We did something that's only been done four times in the last one hundred thirty years, and we swept everything. I ran um well you know with a larger margin than just four years ago, and we flipped both chambers of our legislature, and I think really it is about electing leaders who are focused on solving problems, not creating them and certainly not waging culture wars. We know that people expect their leaders to deliver, whether it is better roads fixing the damn roads or it is improving outcomes for our kids in our public schools or just ensuring they've got clean drinking water, basic reproductive rights. And that's really what was front and center here. And I think that's what contributed to this overwhelming result. People want problem solvers, not culture warriors.
1: Well, they also want, um, at least it seems, a governor who, you know, is ready to go on the offense for matters that voters care about. I think for people who don't know, even before we got that draft opinion, of the Dobbs decision, you were preemptively really concerned about women's reproductive freedoms in the state of Michigan. And you sued to challenge the constitutionality of this 1931 zombie law, which was effectively an abortion ban that would kick into place should Roe fall. You were prescient and you were on the offense, which is not. I mean, I feel like we constantly talk about how Democrats are always playing defense, trying to explain how they're not how what, what what Republicans paint them to be. You've gone on offense. And I wonder if there's a lesson to learn in that. I talked to Governor Gavin Newsom of California. He says the same thing. He said Democrats need to go on offense. They need to put Republicans in the corner. So how do, how do you do that? And how do you think about that offense defense dynamic?
6: Well, I think it's fighting for the people. I think it's showing up and using every tool at your disposal to live your values and deliver for the people that you that you serve. Um, when Justice Ginsburg passed, and we saw Amy Coney you know, bear it on the horizon, we got serious about examining what tools could I use to preserve a woman's right to make her own decisions around her body. In Michigan, we were poised to go from being a proud pro-choice state to a state that would go back 91 years, making it a felony, no exceptions. And so I used every tool in my toolbox. And because of that, it empowered this initiative to amend our constitution, which was critical in this election that just happened a week ago. And now in Michigan, we have enshrined these rights into our state constitution. So this shows, I think, if we are um, eager to jump into the fray and unapologetic about living our values and focused on solving problems, that is how we create a path that others can find themselves on. And I think this was really important in this election. It was not having gerrymandered districts, it was putting choice before the voters, and it was ensuring that we had a vision where there's an opportunity for every person. And that's really what people should demand of their leaders.
1: I got to ask you about the gerrymandering thing, because that seems crucial to how Democrats have actually won adequate representation in the state. You look at neighboring Wisconsin, where the Republicans have gerrymandered those maps to just a breathtaking degree, and it really feels like an anti-democratic force. Should all Democrats effectively embrace independent commissions to draw congressional district lines at this point? Is that what needs to happen? I mean, I know in the past... Democrats have done their their own share of gerrymandering, but the sort of modern era of gerrymandering, which is effectively an anti-democratic force that is under the aegis of Republican legislatures. Do Democrats owe the American people independent redistricting commissions across this country?
6: I think the American people should insist on it. You know, one of the things that I was hopeful would happen in Congress was, you know, voting rights protections. We went to our constitution in Michigan a number of years ago in 2018, made it easier for people to vote, took gerrymandering away from the legislature and created this commission. And now you see the result of that when there are fairly drawn districts, you get a legislature that is much more reflective of the people they're supposed to be serving. It should be the The people choosing their legislators, not legislators choosing their constituents. And unfortunately, we see gerrymandering across the country. We in Michigan have made huge steps forward. We've also enshrined additional... Uh, voting rights. And now that I've got a a great legislature, I anticipate we'll be able to do even more on that front. But certainly that was one way that the people took back the power. And it was a citizens group that came together. And certainly I'm I'm hopeful other states, if these are tools they have, will emulate it because this is how we protect um, our democracy.
1: I just want to ask you one last question about choice. The, The state constitutional amendment to protect a woman's right to choose, that passed. Um, in this last election. The 1931 zombie law is still, I believe, it's still on the books. And you've said you want to get rid of that, even though it's no longer operative. I think a lot of American women would like to see these zombie laws torn up and men would like to see these laws torn up and burned, thrown away in the dustbin of history. When do you think you can take care of that, erasing it from the books, as it were?
6: I think as soon as I get sworn in for my second term and my new legislature comes in, not only will we wipe that off the books, but probably a lot of other zombie laws that are, are sitting there latent that could pose a threat depending on what the Supreme Court continues to do in terms of eroding our rights. And so we are scouring the laws. We will be cleaning it up. Things that uh, predecessors probably should have been done, we
1: will, we will take care of it. Get rid of zombie laws. That is a platform you can win on. Michigan Governor Gretchen (laughs) Whitmer, thank you so much for your time and congratulations again. Thank you, Alex. We have much more to come tonight, including new pressure on Attorney General Merrick Garland as the Justice Department's investigation into Mar-a-Lago suddenly has a new challenge to overcome with Trump's announcement that he is running for president. Stay with us. With Donald Trump now officially running for a second term as president, the timing of this announcement is itself worth noting. Making this move now could be politically strategic, strategic, basically get out in front of anyone else's announcement, but also dually strategic when it comes to certain legal jeopardy that Trump happens to be facing. From what has been reported just before the midterms, there were signs that the Department of Justice was building some real momentum in its probe into Trump's mishandling of classified documents down at Mar-a-Lago by adding one of the department's, one of the department's most experienced national security lawyers to that investigation. It seemed, it seems, like a criminal indictment might be imminent. And now that election day is over, the traditional 60-day period of quiet before an election where the Justice Department doesn't really issue new subpoenas or search warrants or, say, criminal indictments of a former president, that period of quiet is over. But, but Donald Trump is now a candidate for the presidency, again, the Republican frontrunner, even. And that reality and all the political dimensions of a Democratic administration indicting a Republican presidential candidate, well, That could complicate things for Attorney General Merrick Garland, which may have been one of the main reasons Trump made this announcement right now, throwing a wrench into a looming criminal indictment. So what does Merrick Garland do now? Joining us now is Barb McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. Barb, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I just, Merrick Garland knew this day was coming, it sounds like. There was some talk of the Department of Justice looking into a special counsel to handle this politically sensitive uh, matter should Trump announce his candidacy. Where do you think his deliberations stand now? Do you think there's a likelihood or even a feasibility of a special counsel being appointed?
7: You know, it's hard to know. I certainly don't have any inside information, and I think it is prudent to at least have that conversation and discuss it. But um, I'll tell you, if, if I were advising Merrick Garland, here's what I would say. Um, when you consider appointing a special counsel, you have to consider the costs and the benefits of doing that. There's no legal requirement to appoint a special counsel. It's a discretionary call, and it should be done when people might tend to doubt the independence of the attorney general himself. And so when you've got someone who is running for president against your boss, I suppose that's a fair question to ask. But when you think about the costs and the benefits here, what's the benefit? Maybe you get the creation of independence, but probably not. Think about the way Robert Mueller was treated. Uh, You couldn't find a more fair person in America, and in fact, one with Republican bona fides, and yet Trump went to town on him, accusing him of uh, being partisan. And so the cost, on the other hand, is that it would set back the investigation considerably, I think, to have someone start over after both of these investigations have been underway for some time. So my hunch is we will not see a special prosecutor.
1: Yeah, the timing on all of this seems—I mean, I'd love to know your thoughts. Does the timing feel imminent? I mean, do you think that Garland is considering something before the end of the year? Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball, but given the prosecutors that they've appointed— And just the evidence that they've amassed already, do you think we could be looking at something in the coming weeks? Or does Raymond Deary have to the special master have to finish his review of the potentially privileged documents before Garland can do anything?
7: Well, I think at the very least they'll wait until November 22nd, which is the day that the 11th Circuit is going to have a hearing on the Justice Department's motion to just get rid of the special master altogether in that case. So that is certainly a date that's just before Thanksgiving. Um, It seems that this case is getting closer. They've had people in the grand jury recently. Kash Patel reportedly was in the grand jury not long ago. Those strike me as the kinds of things you do as you get toward the end of an investigation. I don't know that we'll see it before the end of the year, but I wouldn't be surprised to see charges within the next couple of months. Uh,
1: you know, there's another, of course, DOJ investigation that Merrick Garland is overseeing, and that's the one into January 6. Um, there, The DOJ has subpoenaed dozens of low-level people uh, in the Trump administration, and they've been talking about a number of different aspects uh, related to January 6. How does Mar-a-Lago and a potential indictment there complicate things for a potential second indictment into January, uh, vis-a-vis January 6, when we're talking about someone who is now effectively the Republican frontrunner in a presidential campaign?
7: It, it, it makes your head spin a little bit. You know, it's always challenging for prosecutors to fight a battle on two fronts, and that does happen from time to time when someone is charged with crimes that are sort of unrelated and can't be joined in the same indictment under the joinder rules of the Rules of Criminal Procedure. Um, I also think that the January 6th case is still a bit, has to be a bit off. It's just a a much more complex case, a little more difficult to get one's arms around. And so the Mar-a-Lago case seems pretty discreet and like it could be charged fairly quickly, as we said, maybe within the next couple of months. The January 6th case, I think, is still probably many months off. But you could have two different cases pending. You remember Paul Manafort had two cases going, one in Virginia and one in Washington, D.C. And, you know, sometimes you get into a little bit of a back and forth where one judge rules on one thing and another judge rules on something else that makes things a little bit difficult to coordinate. But I don't think it should stop them. I also don't think this announcement stops them in any way. Uh, We've all known since January Twenty-first uh, that John, Donald Trump would be a candidate for president, one way or another, and so I don't know that making a formal announcement really changes anything. If you allowed someone to uh, require a special counsel just because you announced for president, then any defendant could announce his campaign for presidency at any time, and I don't think we want to go down that road.
1: A fair point. We also know that Donald Trump will definitely try and raise campaign funds based on any potential criminal indictment because the past is precedent. Barb McQuade, former U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, thanks. always, Barb, for your wisdom and time. That does it for us tonight. We will see you again tomorrow. Whether you're a morning person
4: or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids.